Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome, everybody, to Histories of the Unexpected, the show in which we explain how everything has a history, even the most unexpected of subjects, like puzzles, bowls, and backwardness. <laughs> I love the idea of doing backwardness. We should do a podcast from in reverse. We should, you know, it'd be brilliant. It'd be brilliant. I'm just trying to compute that at the moment. However, for the moment, we will be following the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining how those histories link together in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, who knew, Sam, did you know this, that the history of bells is in fact all about the Reformation? Or that the history of beads, yes, beads, is in fact all about trade and exchange in the Viking world, a very serious topic indeed. The man not sitting opposite me because we're social distancing, he will help pilot us through these micro-histories. He's one of the country's leading professors of history. It's Professor Extraordinaire James Daybell. Hello, James. Hello, Sam. Lovely to lovely to see you on Zoom, actually. We haven't seen <laughs> each other for a while. Um, but the man who I'm spying on Zoom, who's not sitting opposite me because we are in this time of lockdown, uh, but ably helping me co-pilot these episodes. He is the famous historical adventurer, Dr Sam Willis. Hello, everyone. This is the fifth, we've done five, hooray, five. of our special Christmas-themed micro-histories in which we embrace the task of demonstrating how an unexpected subject not only has a history, but is massively important and interesting in just 15 minutes, and we do it without just talking faster. We start with a shared example and then have just five minutes each to make a case for an interesting history on that very unexpected subject. Contributions are rigorously timed. And you, our dear listeners, you will get to vote on social media on what you think was the most interesting fact that you heard in the episode. And today's topic inspired by Christmas is, believe it or not, the history of spite. <laughs> James, where are we going to start? Ah, oh, spite, rather like evil. Nothing quite says Christmas like spite. Now, you're probably all busily writing... Christmas cards, licking the envelopes, uh, or you're in the middle of doing this. I sent mine super early this year. Uh, I wrote them in mid-November uh, and then put them on a shelf and didn't post them until the 1st of December because I basically thought people would think I was a bit weird. It is a bit weird. Um, however, if you are doing this, just take note of the following because the custom of exchanging greeting cards during the festive season was a Victorian invention, with the first commercial card produced by Sir Henry Cole in, get this, 1843. From the 1870s onwards, the introduction of the halfpenny stamp 
made postage much more affordable. And of course, everyone could start sending cards, which boosted the popularity of sending Christmas cards for ordinary Victorian people. And many examples of 19th century Christmas cards survive in collections of Victorian scrapbooks, which you can find in libraries around the country. Just Google Victorian scrapbooks and Christmas cards and you will come up with all sorts of delights. Among the cheerful Yuletide messages you might see there, um, many of which actually were distinctly secular, a number take on quite a surprising, sinister, almost a spiteful note, which is why we've come to it. Um, examples include an image of a dead robin, just just rolled over and dead, um, a child boiled in a teapot, a clown sneaking up on a policeman to assault him, grisly-looking snowmen, and, of course, nothing quite says Merry Christmas like the depiction of a frog murder. So in one of these cards, this isn't a joke, by the way. It's a frog, right, murdering a fellow frog with a dagger to the soft underbelly and then running off with the dead frog's money. And what's the message? Well, it's, it's may you have a Merry Christmas, unlike this unfortunate amphibian. Brilliant stuff. You'll be very glad to know that I sent nobody uh, a dead frog card this year. <laughs> uh, however, I did send Robin's. Uh, and as we know from one of our previous podcasts, sending Robin Christmas cards is in fact quite unlucky. Um, it is, but it's so a bad I'm, luck one. I'm very, very sorry. It was an RSPB uh, card, um, so I was supporting charity, um, but I'm I'm immensely sorry about that. Now, where are we going to go with this? Do you, do you want Will to start, you... Sam, or shall oh, I start? Uh, uh, you go, James, you go. I mean, go. Well, let's take us somewhere on the extraordinary history of spite. You have five minutes. Begin now. OK, well... Uh, I'm going to go in a very similar uh, direction, uh, postally, um, because I, as somebody who has worked uh, for his entire academic career uh, on letters, uh, notwithstanding uh, recent uh, forays into gloves, I've been very interested in letters and poison pen letters, in particular, spiteful pen letters. And there are two ways of thinking about this. There are Poison pen letters, which are simply uh, abusive and malicious, that you're sending somebody, you know, anonymous venom uh, in the mail. Um, and I have been the recipient of of a letter, such a letter, uh, in my time. Um, or they are quite literally poisoned, uh, and there is a practice across time of sending uh, poison in the post, literally poison in the post. And one of the most recent uh, examples of this happened in September 2020, and it was a letter sent to the current President of the United States, Donald Trump, which contained uh, the poison ricin. And uh, they found out who did it, you know, and and we actually have a copy of the letter, which if you Google it, um, it got into uh, the newspapers, it got onto social media. And I just want to read it. I found a new name for you, the Ugly Tyrant Clown. I hope you like it. You ruin USA and lead them to disaster. I have US cousins, then I don't want the next four years with you as president. Give up and remove your application for this election. So, I made a special gift for you to help you make a decision. This gift is in the letter. If it doesn't work, I'll find a better recipe for another poison or I might use my gun when I'll be able to come. Enjoy, and signed, Free Rebel Spirit. It's extraordinary that somebody would want to 
you know, send a send a letter like that and so maliciously, whatever you think of people's politics, uh, absolutely obnoxious. But there is a there's an incredible history of this, um, you know, that we can trace back to the early 20th century, you know, in the sort of time of you know, the First World War. And you think about the the sort of horrors of warfare, the kind of toxic gas uh, that is used at the time, the poison sort of phosgene and mustard gases that you see. Um, but that's not the only poison that is peddled at that time because people were also writing really poisonous letters to each other. And there's one particular example that I want to talk about, which is connected to the American state of New Jersey and the city of Elizabeth, which is near uh, New York City itself. And there in 1909, uh, there's a scandal of somebody who is supposed to be possessed of, and I quote, a serpent typewriter and sent letters of hate to public figures, uh, accusing uh, women of clandestinely prostituting themselves to men in New York. And she writes to one woman that she keeps one or two rumours and does a little dressmaking to hide her double life. Look at her clothes of elegance, yet her husband is a baggage checker on the Pennsylvania Railroad in winter and purser on the Hudson River ferry boat in the summer. Never saw $80 a month in his life, yet they keep a maid and she is on the go all the time. Once a week she meets an Elizabeth man over on Staten Island and once a week she meets a New York man in New York City and in that way she makes $40 a month. She will do nothing but honest work for money. And so it's awful that, that you know, that you 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 would write those sort of public poisonous letters trying to, you know, disparage your, your neighbours and people within the community. And there are various sort of other people who she writes this and she ends up being caught. So they find out who this person is that's doing it. It's one Mrs Pollard who goes to trial and she is somebody who she turns up, she's swathed in a in a veil so that you can't really see her. She has with her the minister of a, an Episcopal church sitting beside her. And they are the the trial itself is so cross and angry. That's it. Your time is up, James. The uh, astronomical clock of Prague has interrupted you, which was made in 1410. Very ancient, ancient clock there. Um, and it's got one of these kind of little mechanised people and they all look quite unpleasant and spiteful. <laughs> oh, so the bit that I wasn't going to say, that's a fantastic sound, but the bit that I was, that I didn't have chance to say, but that I will, uh, I will fill you in on very briefly, if I may, in a sentence plus, uh, is that during this examination, they bring out a handwriting expert, a really famous handwriting expert uh, from the period, William William Kinsley. Uh, and he's also an expert on typewriters. And he manages to match the type on the letters with this woman's. Um... Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. With this woman's typewriter, uh, and because there are imperfections on particular letters uh, that, that are used, they are identical in all of the documents, and she is caught... Uh, so her come up and so uh, I suppose um, you know Christmas in this sense spite is all about sending people poison and venom uh, through the mail poison pen letters okay Sam where are you going to go with this because you have simply five minutes and as usual I am going to reset my stopwatch and I am going to time you rigorously on your marks get set go <laughs> Go! I am going to take us uh, to the summer of 1888. It feels a bit wintry, so I thought I'd do some summer stuff. Going to Victorian London. Um, then it was a divided city, very different from now. Although there's still very much a West End and an East End. West End was home to wealthier Londoners. The East End was crowded. There was slum housing everywhere. And I'm going to be talking to you about Jack the Ripper. It's about time we actually came up with Jack. We haven't talked about him before on the podcast. And he operated in the East End in what was known at the time as the Evil Square Mile. It includes the districts of Whitechapel, Spitalfields, Aldgate, all quite nice places nowadays. But at the time, think narrow streets, think darkness, uh, think uh, passages, alleyways and crime. So uh, his first victim on the 30th of August was... Um, Mary Ann Nichols, known as Polly, she was found dead. Uh, her throat had been cut and she, her body was being partially disemboweled. Eight days later, he strikes again. Uh, Annie Chapman, this time in the backyard um, of a building in Spitalfields. She, like Polly, had also had her throat cut and um, she'd been partially disemboweled. This is when it becomes interesting in terms of letters, James, because I'm actually going to be talking about spiteful letters just like you. So nearly a month after Polly's death, the first, the first lady to die, a letter arrives at the Central News Agency claiming to be the killer. And this um, author taunts the police about an early theory of theirs, that the murder was by uh, someone called the Leather Apron. And he, it ends by taunting that there, again, would be more, um, more mutilations. Then there are two more deaths... And one more letter. 
first of those deaths to be discovered was a lady um, known as Long Liz, but her full name was Elizabeth Stride. And just a matter of minutes later, less than an hour later, a second body was discovered nearby, and that was the body of Catherine Eddowes. This causes there to be more uh, more letters appear. Um, another one here from who the police actually do believe to be the killer. And it says, I was not kidding, dear old boss, when I gave you the tip. You'll hear about saucy Jack. He worked tomorrow. Double event this time. Number one squealed a bit, but couldn't finish straight off. Had not time to get ears for police. Thanks for keeping last letter back till I got to work again. Signed, Jack the Ripper. What the police do is that they they believe that these first two letters are authentic. They're actually written by the serial killer. And they decide to publish them in the hope that someone might come forward being able to identify the handwriting. Similar theme to what you were talking, James, about identifying the penmanship or the typewriters. Anyway, um, to this end, these letters were printed. But what happens is that it creates a huge stream of letters from would-be Jack the Rippers, um, which contain very unpleasant, crude messages stating an intention to murder again. They're very spiteful letters, which is why I've got um, to focus on them today. They're designed specifically to annoy the people looking for Jack. They're designed to annoy the police. They're designed to offend the public. And all for no gain, um, just being anonymous. So I thought I'd read you out some of these these spiteful letters from the summer of 1888 around the hunt for Jack the Ripper. Dear boss, I keep on hearing the police have caught me, but they won't fix me just yet. I've laughed when they look so clever and talk about being on the right track. That joke about leather apron gave me real fits. I'm down on whores and won't quit ripping them till I do get buckled. Grand work the last one was. I gave the lady no time to squeal. How can they catch me now? I love my work and want to start again. You will soon hear of me with my funny little game. I saved some of the proper red stuff in a ginger beer bottle over the last job to write with, but it went thick like glue and I can't use it. Red ink is fit enough, I hope. Ha ha. The next job I do, I shall clip the ladies' ears off and send to the police officers just for jolly. Wouldn't you? Keep this letter back till I do a bit more work and give it out straight. My knife's so nice and sharp, I want to get to work right away if I get a chance. Good luck, Jack the Ripper. And then another one. September 1888. Dear sir, I do wish to give myself up. I'm in misery with nightmare. I am the man who committed all these murders in the last six months. My name is Drawing of a Coffin. So and so I'm a horse slaughterer and work at somewhere blocked out address. I've found the woman I want that is Chapman and I've done what I called slaughtered her. But if anyone comes, I will surrender. I'm not going to walk to the station by myself. So I am yours truly, Silhouette of a Coffin. Keep the borough road clear or I might make a trip up there. Photograph, um, little picture of a knife. This is the knife that I've done these murders with. It is small handle with a... Oh, I'm stopping. Not a creature was stirring. Not even a mouse. Ah, that was a little extract from... Clement Seymour's Twas the Night Before Christmas, read by one of my favourite people in the entire world, Stephen Fry. Oh, and it also sounds a bit creepy. The whole, another thing was stirring, not even a mouse. There we go. Um, let me finish my sentence. This is the knife I'd done these murders with. It is small handle with large, long blade, sharp 
both sides. So there you have it, James. Spite, in this sense, is all about malicious, hurtful, taunting letters sent to the police in the aftermath of the Jack the Ripper murders in the summer of 1888 in the delightful capital of England. Aren't we all a lovely bunch here? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Happy Christmas, everyone. (laughs) Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. Um, I hope you enjoyed that on Spite. Uh, Do please follow us on social media for some more. I'm at Dr Sam Willis. And I'm at James Daybell. And the pod is at Unexpected Pod. You can find out everything that we have been doing, everything we've been up to, everything that we are going to be doing on our website, historiesoftheunexpected.com where you can buy some signed books for Christmas. There's still time. You can sneak one into the stockings of your loved ones. We've got little series books on the Romans, the Tudors, World War II, and um, the Vikings, I do believe, James, as well as our bigger books. So do please check that out. And we'll be back with you guys soon. Cheerio. Bye, guys. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.